0: We are in a series called The Gift of Joy, and we are unpacking the different characters from the nativity to ask the question, why are they there? What do they teach us about Jesus, about God's love for us? And uh, particularly, we're trying to work out what joy means. And and in order to really understand what joy is about, we're going to go one step deeper this morning and think about peace. Um, I don't know how peaceful you feel um, if you just drop your kids off in the kids groups, or if you just rushed to church this morning, or maybe in a wider sense, how peaceful you feel in your homes, in your families, with uh, all that's going on in the world around us. Um, we have faced a lot, haven't we? Um, whether it's COVID or it's new Transformer brother, Omicron or the gang violence that goes on in our city, or tensions which we've uncovered in our families. Maybe over the last 18 months, we thought that we all believed the same thing about everything, and now maybe we feel like we don't believe the same thing about anything anymore. You know, peace can be one of those topics which is like, like an elusive concept that we desperately need. But I believe, and the Bible is really clear, that we serve a God of peace. There are over 400 references into the Bible to God's desire to bring about peace on the earth. If you open up your Bible in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible actually opens with peace, God's peace reigning with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. If you turn to the end of Revelation chapter 22, right at the end of the Bible, you see again this new story of God's shalom peace at work on the earth. And every single page, really, between Genesis 1 and Revelation 22 is a story of God seeking to bring about that peace to bear on the earth. And so even though it feels elusive sometimes, even though it can feel difficult and hard, we believe that God's vision and desire is for peace in our lives, peace in our cities, peace in our world. And so we're going to think about the shepherds and the angels this morning, and we're going to have our reading, which is going to be uh, from Luke chapter 2. So if you have got it in front of you, um, Sam is going to bring it for us, and we're going to be starting at uh, verse 8. So let's read it together.
1: The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told.
0: Great. Thanks, Sam. The angels declare to the shepherds peace on earth, peace to those on whom God's favor rests. So how do you find peace Well, in order to answer that question, I think we actually have to start on the flip side of the coin, which is to recognize that there are some ways that we often seek to find peace that are incomplete, that often when the world talks about peace, it's actually a little bit different to what the Bible talks about, Um, and there are two ways I think we need to really understand which are not ways that we will find the completion of God's shalom on earth. The first way way is actually the sort of negative or cultural vision of peace which was sometimes given. In Jesus' time, people were desperate for political peace. They lived in a world where there was Roman occupation, where they were oppressed, where they were overtaxed. Their desperate hope was for another king to arrive, a Messiah figure to kick out the Romans, to rid them from opposition, from religious torment, so that they could be free from the negative impacts on their life. And I think sometimes when we talk about that vision, as maybe the beauty contestants sometimes say, we want peace, world peace, What we really mean is we just want the bad stuff to be gone. If we could get rid of the bad stuff, then actually everything would be right in the world. Now, of course, as Christians, if what we mean by that is it's our vision and our desire to help rid the world from things like hatred and racism or work in the the areas of justice or murder or violence or whatever it is, of course, that is part of the story of peace. But if it isn't twinned to something better, actually it can leave us in a really bad place. It can leave us with this kind of quite aggressive vision of what peace can look like. Um, Our friend John Tyson in Churchill City, New York, he says this, if you have a negative vision of just trying to get rid of the bad things, anybody who seems to bring any hint of real or perceived or theoretical violence to you has to be immediately eliminated because they threaten the peace and the status quo. I'll give you an example. Um, I read this in the Washington Post a while ago. There's a lady called Julia in uh, New York City, and she decided to help out her daughter's uh, preschool Christmas party. And she was a Christian, but she was given the task of being in charge of the music for the musical chairs. And so she thought, like, what am I, I going to choose this Christmas? And she thought, I better not choose a carol because people might not like that. She thought, I've got it. I'll choose a song that everybody is going to love. And so she chose Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And st- she started this song up, and it went really well, and all the kids were kind of running around until one of the staff from the preschool ran up, true story, and literally said, stop, what are you doing? Stop, you can't play that song. She said, what? I mean, I can't play this song, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right? She said, yeah, no, I'm, I'm so sorry, but people have looked into the lyrics of this song and found that this song is actually about discrimination and bullying of the reindeer species, <laughs> particularly ones with red noses. And uh, this song reinforces bullies, bullying and doesn't appreciate inclusivity or diversity. And so, so Julia thought, well, I will take to Twitter to get some support here. She took to Twitter, and she got 8,000 messages of abuse coming her way because she was a bully toward reindeers and children. That's a genuinely true story. If our vision for peace is actually some sort of extreme political correctness where we remove any possible negative thing, it actually just leaves us in a place of incompleteness Whereas, again our friend John Tyson says, it's amazing the amount of violence can get, that can get caused in the name of peace. It's amazing the amount of hatred that gets caused in the name of love, and it's amazing the amount of oppression that gets caused in the name of justice. Because, of course, if your vision of peace is to rid the world of something, you're probably actually going to get fearful and angry. And as verse 10 says in today's passage, fear is the opposite of joy and peace. Nelson Mandela, that wonderful, amazing leader who had a great vision for peace said this, When we dehumanize and we demonize our opponents, we abandon the possibility of peacefully resolving our differences, and we seek to justify violence against them. Peace is not just when we remove the conflict from the world. In fact, and this is just a little side point that I've learned this last year, actually, we kind of need conflict in the right way. There's actually value in the right way of conflict. In in my house, uh, during the height of the pandemic last year, My kids couldn't go out and play sports and they couldn't see their friends. And so they invented a new game in my house called Daddy Tackle. And, and basically what happened is after about 6.30 in the evening, everyone was very stressed. They were a bit pent up. Everyone was a bit angry with one another. And so the kids would just randomly shout daddy tackle and run from the other side of the house and just take me out completely. And, and I still have the scars and the bruises from this, this incident. But, but actually we found it was really good because, because we need to work out our differences. We need context where we can debate and, and discuss and work out why we disagree with one another. And I'll just say, you know, as, as a church leader, my hope and my prayer is and that we will continue to get better, even as Christians, at learning to live with difference, that we'll get better at learning to live across our differences of views about politics or you know, whatever the topic might be at the moment. Because I think, sadly, that has been one of the stories of the last couple of years is that actually Christians haven't found forums and discussions and ways to talk really well about the things that are different. So that kind of negative, politically kind of correct vision of peace doesn't work, in the same way that I think a counterfeit or um, a a kind of cultural, inward, short-term view of peace also doesn't work, a kind of peace which happens when we seek to kind of cover up the cracks in our own emotional well-being by finding quick wins to any situation that we're finding ourselves in. right? I tell all the time, I grew up in Hong Kong. I, I love it, and we've got some friends from Hong Kong with us at the moment, and we're sharing stories of what it was like growing up there. And I'm also someone who absolutely hates spending very much money on things. I'm just public confession on a Sunday morning. Um, but I discovered when I was a teenager that there was this whole world in Hong Kong called the world of the fake. Uh, there, is, there were genuine fakes. There were original genuine fakes. Um, and I'm not justifying this, by the way. It's bad and wrong. Um, but I discovered when I was 15 that I didn't have to pay full price for computer games because there was a shopping mall on the Kowloon side of Hong Kong, Hong Kong in a place called Sham Shui Po where you could go. And you would arrive at this big shopping mall. And there were, there were red arrows on the floor in this shopping mall. And you would follow the red arrows along the floor of the shopping mall until you got to a back corner of the shopping mall. And there you would meet a very suspicious-looking man who, who would have a thing like a menu from a, a, a restaurant in his hand, and you would point at all the latest computer games that you wanted, and you'd hand him a very small amount of money, and then he would say, follow the the yellow arrows that are on the ceiling, and you would go back to the opposite side of the uh, shopping mall, and there another very suspicious-looking man would lurk out of the shadows and hand you a black bag which would have in it all the latest computer games that you wanted. Now, not justifying, it was entirely the wrong thing to do, but the promise was, wow, I can get all this stuff that is like going to be amazing, and I didn't have to pay for it properly. It worked until you got home, and you found out that nine out of the ten of them did not work at all. <laughs> it was like um, at once, once I went to Hong Kong market to buy a jacket, like a football, England football team jacket. Um, I say football because it's that round thing that you kick with your foot as opposed to the long and pointy thing you throw with your hand. Just just, just saying. Just just saying. Just saying. Um, Now, if you don't know about the England football team, they have an emblem which looks like this. There it is. Three Lions. The England team, football team are called the Three Lions. Um, I loved my jacket, even though I don't know why I bought it, because in Hong Kong it's extremely hot and you don't need a jacket ever. Um, but it was OK until about two weeks after having it. I looked in the mirror. And I thought, something's not quite right. And I realized the first thing that was wrong with my jacket, that it didn't have three Lions on it. It actually had four Lions uh, on, my, on my jacket. Um, And then a few days later, I put it in the washing machine, and it never came out, (laughs) and that, that, that was the end of it. This kind of world of the counterfeit, it promises you everything. It's like you don't have to pay for it, you don't have to go full price, you don't have to commit anything to it, it will give you an immediate win, when in reality, it just rips you off, because what you have is of no value. And I think, although those are funny examples, we often do the same thing in our lives as well. How often do I, when I am really desperate to feel better, do I go for a quick win? Maybe like a dopamine hit off my device or social media. Or I reach for that food substance or that drug, or that alcohol, or whatever it might be, or even go to those places like online shopping, which, as far as I can tell, were exactly invented for this, exact, for this purpose, where you don't need something, but you feel bad. And so you go and buy something, and then you wait three days for it to arrive, while, in which way you realize you never needed it in the first place, and then what you do, you send it back. Right? But whatever it might be, we, we think, if I could just get a quick hit, I'll be OK. We can do it in much more serious ways, too, I think. If only, if only I was in that relationship, then I would have peace. If only I had that job or that salary or I lived in that house or on that street or my kids went to that school or if I went on that vacation, then I would be a peaceful person. And so we, we strive, we long, we stuff our lives full of noise and stuff and opportunity so that we might feel better. But actually, we realize that those things might give us a quick win but they don't provide peace. It's maybe, I think, why in the pandemic, there was this astonishing statistic that came out that even when some of those things were stripped back, a quarter of every 18 to 24-year-old, or all 18 to 24-year-olds in the US had suicidal thoughts in the middle of the pandemic. It's like, where is peace? Well, I want to suggest, unsurprisingly, that the answer to where we find peace, real peace, lasting peace, is in Jesus. And before we even get to the theology of why that's true, it's interesting that last year as well there was a Gallup survey, this massive organization Gallup did a survey looking at where people improved their mental health and they found only exactly one one, uh, indicator of improved mental health last year. Relationships didn't work, age didn't work, occupation didn't work, nothing else worked. The one thing where people reported better mental health last year was regular worship and participation in the church community. Kingdom peace is found through the story that we just read this morning of Jesus. In verse 11, today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Cornelius Plantinga, it's an amazing name for a theologian, he said this, the peace, the shalom that Jesus brings through Christmas, the one that God is talking about, is about the webbing together of God humans, and all creation in justice, in fulfillment, and delight. And when the angel comes to the shepherds, what he's shouting at the top of his voice is this, he is here. Peace, real, lasting, life-changing peace has come to the earth. Jesus is the giver of peace. And what what the angel actually says is that peace comes in three different ways that I want to tell you about briefly. The first one comes through the word saviour, which is the first name that the, the, uh, the angel gives to the shepherds. Peace in our relationship between us and God. On earth, the angel says, peace to those whom his favor rests. You know, I think often if you were to go out to the streets of LA um, and you say to people, like, what do you, what do you think about God. I think so many people, at least that I meet, say, yeah, you know, I, I love the idea of God, you know, when I go on a hike, or when I go to the beach, or I go surfing, or I have an amazing meal, or listen to beautiful music. I get this sense of like a transcendent, higher power out there. But then often, as we do an Alpha, we say, well, what do you think about Jesus as the idea of someone who comes to save you from your sins? So often what I, I hear is, well, I don't need Jesus. Like, it's too narrow, it's too prescriptive, it's too negative. Like, I, I like God, but I don't, I don't want Jesus. Now, that kind of sounds a little innocuous at first, but actually, when you come down to it, it actually is an amazingly profound and aggressive kind of statement that you can give. I and mean, if you go back to Adam and Eve, think for a minute about back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when God made Adam and Eve and they lived at peace, the created, with the creator. And all was well, all was well, until that life coach called the serpent turned up right and said, hey, you guys, like, if you want real peace, if you wanna really know what life's about, you need to be in charge. You can't let some God figure tell you what you can do or what you can't do. You need to call the shots. And so the created, Adam and Eve, rejected the creator God. And the definition of like, the fall was basically we became in charge. We took the wheel of the car. We became our own gods, and that's been the story throughout history. Right? I'm happy with the idea of God, but I don't want Him to be in charge of my life. But the problem is, that's exactly what this, the angel says. The shepherd says to the shepherds, "This is who Jesus is. Jesus is the promised Savior who has come so that we might again have the favor of God." I think sometimes we we believe we should get the favor of God by default. Even though we're like the kids who take the Christmas present, the best Christmas present, and then throw it in the trash and go, I've already got one of those. I'm sure your kids wouldn't do that like mine would. <laughs> right? The gift of Christmas is that Jesus came, the greatest, most profound, most life-changing gift who changes absolutely everything. And it's offered to you and me to bring primarily, the first thing is, a rightness a goodness, a favor between our relationship between the creator of the universe and us. That despite the mess, despite the brokenness, that that's what Jesus brings Is he comes to bring that. And the invitation to you and me, which the angel brings to the shepherds is this, will you accept him? Will you worship him? Will you love him? Because the beautiful thing is that if the answer to that question is yes, you will give him your life, then what we actually find is that the most incredible things happens is that the creator of the universe has favor upon you and loves you and wants to bless you. And those things that exist in the world, those things that feel broken and hard and impossible, you realize that the creator of the universe is right by your size and are not that impossible because your future, your eternity, the whole story is assured by the one who flung the stars into space. The angel says to the shepherd, he is the savior of the world. A good news for all mankind, to any who would receive him. The second thing is like the word Messiah is that once we get that bit right, the vertical God and us, it actually provides a beautiful foundation for getting peace in our own lives. And boy, I feel like don't we need more peace in our lives. Do you notice who it is that the angel goes to see? The angel goes to the shepherds. Now, I know the shepherds are kind of cute and they turn up in the nativity scene with their baby lambs that are all very nice and cuddly and all that, right? But the shepherds, they were not like, like the landed gentry dudes of the Old Testament like Abraham and Moses and David. They were not like rich landowner types like farmers they were like the hired helps they were the peasants they were the guys who couldn't afford to, to live off their own land off their own animals and so they would hire themselves out to live and to work with other people's uh, animals and it's they who the angel goes to doesn't go to corinius who luke says at the beginning of chapter 2 the emperor doesn't go to caesar doesn't go to herod no the angel the messenger of god goes to these simple very normal Very average people living out in the fields, and it says that the glory of the Lord shone. And they were terrified. I mean, I don't think they were just terrified because it was like one of these Roswell like experiences, but they were terrified because anywhere in the Bible we're told where the presence of God turns up, it's terrifying in the sense that it illuminates the reality of what's there, it shines upon what is true and what is real. I don't know about you, but if you ever have a messy room in your house and you turn the lights off and then in the morning you get up and then you realize the sun comes up and all the mess is still there, right? That's probably what it felt like for the shepherds. It's like, oh my goodness, the glory of God's shining on me and I'm a complete mess. I'm not up to this task. I shouldn't be the one who God is talking to. But actually, that's exactly who God chooses to come to. That's where Jesus always chooses to come to you. Jesus doesn't pick out those who think that they've got it all sorted, who think that they've made it all on their own and they deserve everything they're getting. No, Jesus, over and over again, God's spirit comes to those who know that they need him, those who are broken, those who are hurting, those who are lost. You know, I, I think sometimes we, we think, man, well, if I better keep God at arm's length, because if, if God's glory really shone in my life, if he turned on a spotlight in my life, what would he find? He would reject me. He would run a mile if he knew the things that I think and we yet we forget what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. You have searched me. You know me. You love me. In fact, there's nothing that you don't know about what I've already thought. There's nothing that you don't know about what I'm gonna think next. There's nothing that you don't know about me. In fact, God knows you and he loves you and then when the angel comes to the shepherds, he's going saying like, I choose you. I love you. We can have peace in our lives because ultimately God says you're in because I chose you and I want to save you and I want you to know my goodness. Ephesians 2 says this, he, Jesus himself, is our peace. He is the very way that we find peace as we come into the presence of God and realize that God doesn't condemn us but actually loves us. And chooses us and includes us and invites us. But then the third and final way that I think the peace comes is that it's that word Lord. Is that actually, as we find peace with God, we find peace in our own hearts, that actually we then become ready to join in with God's story. We find peace when we find our place. And aren't we all ultimately looking for our place, our identity, our purpose on the earth? You see, these shepherds. They encounter the good news of Jesus, and it changes their life. It says in verse 17, when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to him. These shepherds become the first evangelists. Not because they're wise, not because they had like PhDs, not because they were very rich or had written great books or they would look good on a TV channel or whatever it might be. No, they became the first evangelists because they experienced the goodness of the Lord, the reality and the presence of God, and they couldn't do anything but talk about it. They couldn't do anything but share it with those around them. You know, there's been so much made these last years, isn't there, about you know, church attendance is at the lowest it's ever been in the United States, and, you know, people look at things that happen in churches sometimes, and, you know, they go, well, I'm not going to go to the church for the answers to the good news, so I'm going to look and Google or whatever it might be. And those things might be true, but I can tell you this, that there are people all around us every day who desperately, desperately are looking for peace. There are people around you every day who are looking for love. There are people around you every day who are looking for hope and who are looking for joy. Now in the past, they might have looked at their local church and found out when the next service is and phoned up the pastor and said, can I come? They're probably not gonna do that. I've stopped sitting by the phone a long time ago. But I tell you what they will do is if they know that you are a Christian, they will be looking at you. Your friends will be looking at you and the question they will be answering is this, Is it real? Do you have hope? Do you have peace? Do you have joy? Do you have love? And I promise you this, that if the answer to that question is yes, then they will want to know where you got it from. They will want to know where, if it's real, how they can get hold of it. And I believe that every single one of us, whether we're evangelists, have a gift, or we're just called to be witnesses, we are all called to play our part in the story. It's amazing that Jesus says at the end of his gospel in Matthew, he says, go therefore all of you and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every one of us has this wonderful gift and opportunity to share the love of Jesus. And I know that's so scary, but be encouraged because actually peace comes when we join in the amazing story. There's nothing more joyful, there's nothing more peaceful than when you get to see one of your friends come to know Jesus. I promise it's one of the most amazing gifts that you get to be. And I believe that that's the invitation that we have. Every single one of us, we find peace when we get to join in with the sharing of the good news of Jesus, declaring peace to the earth. So as as I finish, I just want to offer you a challenge and invitation. My invitation is that if you have never received the good news of Jesus yourself, But this morning might be a great morning, like any morning is, to make that step to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And I'm going to offer an opportunity to pray that little simple prayer in a minute. If you want to join with me, you can pray that. But I also want to offer the challenge to all of us that this Advent, would we take time to stop and encounter the presence of the real Lord Jesus? For the last 2,000 years, the the global church has done this amazing thing of pausing and waiting in Advent. They fasted and they prayed. Now we more eat and shop. But isn't it this wonderful time of year when we might, too, just take some time to experience peace? And so I just leave you with two little resources that might help you. The first one, which I use all the time, is the Lectio 365 app. Every single day, twice a day, they have little five, ten-minute reflections to pause, to stop, to wait. It's a free app. You can download it. Our friends in the UK uh, do this and around the world. Um, and then the other one is to check out our Instagram feed. Not that social media is a great source of peace, but actually once a day, there's a little one-minute reflection and bunches of you are gonna be inv- have already been involved in that or will be involved in that. A little reflection and a little Christmas verse each week. But shall we stand? And I'm gonna pray.